1: It's Wednesday, March 16th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black Matt Norlander is here with me, and today is all about picks and picks and picks. I have identified my four favorite first-round picks. Deadleg has done the same. So this is basically an entire podcast dedicated to being something close to an extended version of the final four and one. Should this count in our official records, Zedlag?
2: Oh, it's counting in the records, and here's where we're at right now. I'm 37 and 32. You're 31 and 38. This is going to count to the season-long tally, and it's going to give you a shot here. I mean, I don't know if we're doing this for Sweet 16 or not. Uh, they want a picks episode. We're giving them a picks episode. Our favorite ones uh, against the spread here. I'm going to need someone to go back and tell me what the hell we put on the line at the start of the season. <laughs> do you remember? Like, I, What I do remember is this. Well, actually, I got a couple. I got a couple beefs, actually. I thought about this yesterday. I forgot to bring it up. Dude, where's my pizza? Oh, my
3: God, I forgot.
2: You haven't ordered this. I wanted this for the—I'm going to experience the first round of the NCAA tournament at my house. I wanted the pizza, and it hasn't come yet.
1: I feel bad. I When you texted me uh, exactly what pizzas you wanted, I was—I think it was the night before I was leaving town— or, or one of the – we were literally in the car going to dinner, me and my wife and my youngest son. And I was like, okay, I'll just do this when I get home. And that's the last time I thought about it until just now. That's 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 on me. That was the
2: biggest load of crap I've ever heard.
1: I pr- here's my promise to you because you know me. I pay my bets. I will uh, – as soon as we get done with this, the very next thing I'm going to do put your order in and I'll put it on rush delivery. So maybe just maybe it gets there a little, a little more quick.
2: Fair enough. Now last year, we also made a wager on the season long picks and the loser had to buy the winner, a concert ticket of their choice. Then the pandemic hit. So I, ha- so I still
1: <laughs> haven't gotten is- that. That's a hell of a – that's a dumb – it's the dumbest pandemic I ever been through. Okay,
2: so we still got to figure that out. But I got to get vaccinated, and they got to start having concerts again. That might not even happen to 2022. I think we put something on the line at the beginning of the season, but I don't know what the hell it was. So either you're getting <laughs> off – you're getting off without anything, or we're going to have an enterprising listener go back and provide proof of what, what's on the line here. I don't remember what it was, though. No the,
1: idea. At first, I do remember if we definitely put something on the line. I have no idea what it was, but I vaguely remember – Initially, challenging you to death.
2: Okay. Like we put our lives on the line. Did we? Did we? Did we say that the winner has to, the loser has to buy the winner a Billiken doll? <laughs> I feel like either. that came after. I really hope that's not it. I really hope that's not what's I mean, actually I've at got stake a Billiken here. Belt. I know. I don't. I don't want a Billiken in my house. I got to be honest here, man. I got young children.
1: You rub its head for good luck. I thought about that. St. Louis, obviously, one of the first teams left out of the field. They didn't rub that little Billiken head. <laughs> they, they, they didn't rub the Billiken head this uh, season because of COVID protocols. I mean, they, they were St. Louis in a tight spot. You, 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 you either you either rub the Billiken's head so you can have good luck to avoid quad three losses, or you or or you don't because of COVID. But then guess what happens? You don't have good luck, and you get COVID anyway. They should have just rubbed the head.
2: Didn't rub the head. All right. So here's the deal. You are still alive to win whatever the hell is. This is give up. me those
1: records again.
2: I'm thirty-seven and thirty-two, and you're thirty-one and thirty-eight. Stop the steal! Oh god!
1: Stop the steal! Oh, okay. Stop the steal! I feel like this is getting stolen from me. Like every every episode, you just add another win and subtract <laughs> another not loss for me. <laughs> By the way, is it a coincidence that the person who always wins is the only person who keeps track? You
2: are more than welcome. First of all, we have a listenership in the tens of thousands. You are more than welcome to do this on your own, plus there are independent arbiters, and this is entirely— I have actually had people correct me when I've when I've given you too many wins and said, actually, you've been too kind to of GP. That was not actually how that went down. Stop
1: the steal. Stop the steal. Oh, Stop boy. the steal. They take, They got listeners taking wins away from me?
2: they're just they're, they're facts man that's 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 the problem But here's the good news the good news is you we are picking five different outcomes and not the same games so you can make a five game gain on me in this we both know that's not going to happen
1: Game number 1 I've got Michigan State minus 2 over UCLA <laughs> What the hell what's going on it, It's hard this is hard for me
2: What's going on
1: This is hard for me but I gotta get on, I gotta get going quick. I can't wait till Friday to start making up ground. I gotta start. I gotta make up ground Thursday. And um, here's the truth. You know, you know how much respect I have for for Mick Cronin in UCLA. It was my idea to put his name on that court in the first place. But they are on a four-game losing streak, and they are a projected one-point winner over Michigan State according to Ken Pom. And yet the books have made it Michigan State minus two. What does that tell you? They're trying to get you off Michigan State. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get you off Michigan State. Can't get me off Michigan State. You can't get me off Michigan State. Make it minus three. You can't get – I ain't falling for that. Michigan State five and three in its past eight games. That's how they got into this stupid tournament. They got wins over Illinois, Ohio State, Michigan in that stretch. UCLA hasn't beaten any teams like that all season long. This This is Michigan State minus
2: two. That's how we start the tournament. One and zero. You will have, you will have the first game. I'm giving you five games, and they're not in. I did not pick mine in chronological order. By the way, you asked. I gave you five games. I don't. I don't have my TV schedule up in front of me. I don't know when these are happening. I'm just giving you five. I'm going to give you mine in largest point spread to smallest. So you're going to take Michigan State. We log it. My first pick. Minus nineteen and a, this this was the spread when I sent it to you. So if it's fluctuated at half a point, you gotta live with it. Cleveland State, the Vikings getting nineteen and a half nineteen and a half against the Houston Cougars. Dennis Gates, the coach of Cleveland State, he's a hot head coaching prospect. This is a team that likes to play slow, and guess what? It's playing Houston. The Cougs, Assembly Hall. Archie Miller just proved that it's not easy to score on those rims. I mean, we've seen it year after year after year here. Houston also kick, plays. You do have
1: to kick a man while he's down.
2: Both these teams play really slow. The slower the game, the less likely you are to have a 15, 20-point spread. Cougars are good, don't get me wrong. Cleveland State's coming off some big mojo there. I think the line too big, too large a line I'm going to ride with Cleveland State to cover and maybe even flirt with a single-digit outcome. This will be the closest two versus fifteen that we get.
1: Don't you come crying to me when Houston gets seventeen offensive rebounds?
2: I, I promise you that I will not. Do not come. T- don't
1: don't bring your tears my way. Try to warn you. you. Get seventeen offensive rebounds. My second game. UConn minus two and a half over Maryland. UConn is. 16th at Kenpom. This is a team that is under-seeded based on uh, the the, the um, predictive metrics. Uh, they're 11-3 and three with James Booknight in the lineup. I think they're a really good team with James Booknight in the lineup. And Maryland is 0-4 against its past four top 35 Kenpom opponents. The Terrapins haven't beaten a team like UConn in more than a month. I don't think they're going to do it this time either. UConn, lay the two and a half. That's how you start the tournament, 2-0. and
2: This game, to me, is one of the most likely to be decided in the final 20 seconds. So I think you're flirting with fire here. UConn's got the best player. UConn's the better team. Maryland's got the better nucleus. Eric Ayala, Aaron Wiggins, Daryl Morsell. I know you like this pick. I'm just saying, don't come crying to me when Maryland covers.
1: UConn is 11-3 with James Booknight. You can tell how much uh, I've talked about all this stuff. I've got every little bullet point memorized at this point because I I, we just keep talking about the same things. We (laughs) we do we do region we do region previews for Facebook. Then we do region previews (laughs) for CBS Sports Network, and then it's like I got podcast region previews. Like I've got every little. I bet I've said UConn is eleven and three with James Booknight in the lineup fifty times over the past two days.
2: Oh, you're all you're all over it. There's no doubt about it. True,
1: it's true. Eleven and three with James Booknight
2: and you didn't even get to the point where uconn's the best team against the spread in the tournament this year it's covered almost 80 percent of its games so that's then why where you should sh- then why would you question me well i was waiting uh, listen i figured a man who put uconn would have brought that up but i'm i'm here picking up the pieces i'm just all saying. i
1: know all i know is they are 11 and 3 with james Booknight available and when i say that's all i know that that's the truth. That is all oh, I know.
2: Fair enough. We let it ride. Again, let's remind let's remind listeners of the records here: thirty seven and thirty two on my end, thirty one and thirty eight on your end.
1: Stop the steal! Oh,
2: gosh!
1: Stop the steal!
2: Again, is this is this a movement that you want to be aligning yourself with on multiple podcasts over multiple months? I'm 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 focusing only on the
1: uh on on the stealing that is happening within the context of this podcast i'm not some stupid capital stormer
2: okay i'll, I'll remind you that there is a no context podcast preview that i drop every single time as well either way here we go my second way
1: where do we, we go spend more time on like, people actually storm the Capitol?
2: i know i know i, I can
1: you believe I, I, that can un- you believe that unfortunately what were they doing
2: The odds were against him, just like the odds are against Iona. This Rick Pitino story, I know you love it, my man. They are going to get rolled by Alabama. The line in this game at last check was Crimson Tide, minus 17. GP has been probably driving the Alabama bus I think, longer than just about anyone else in College Hoops Media. He's been on them for quite a while here. This is the second-rated rate defensive team in college basketball on a per-possession basis, according to Ken Palm. It's ninth in adjusted tempo. It's third on the offensive end in terms of uh, quickest possessions, and it's got a top 34 offense in America. Alabama is 24-6. and six. It is in the midst of one of its two or three greatest seasons of all time. It's coming off of uh, an 85-48 win against Mississippi State and then it got a couple of good pushes. 73-68 against Tennessee and then 80-79 in the SEC title game. Iona, on the other hand, has Rick Patino and a team that's played 17 games. It's 12-5, has losses to the likes of Manhattan, 315 in Kenpom. 284 is Quinnipiac, lost to them as well. Took an 86-64 loss against Seton Hall to start its season and has won four in a row in the MAC tournament to get to this point. Iona is a wonderful story. It is nowhere close to Alabama in any in any way possible. I will be genuinely surprised, and it will be a mercy killing if Alabama allows this game to finish in in fewer than 20 points in final margin. Crimson Tide, run away with it. I'm talking 89-61. Let's go.
1: I've got a to go-to Alabama for television purposes that I've been using over and over again.
2: Oh, I just thought, I thought you were about to say I gotta go to Alabama. I thought you were about to say I thought you were gonna say <laughs> I gotta go to Alabama three days after the national championship game. That's <laughs> where I thought you were going with
1: that. No, I do. I have no reasons to go to Alabama right now or, or after the national championship. I've got to go to Alabama like like it, whether it's Zucker or Stover or Sherry, it'd be like, so GP, what do you make of this Alabama team? you got to understand, this team is very, very dangerous, and it's largely because of the style of play. Like This is a team that's second in defensive efficiency the entire country, ninth in tempo. So what does that tell you? It tells you they're going to really, really guard you, and then they're going to get up and down the court. And then about half of their shots, 47%, are going to come from the three-point line. And so they're going to put up 33s on you. Now, who knows how many they're going to make, but they've made 23 in one game this season. That's not normal, but it is possible, evidence being that they did it. So I don't care whether you're Gonzaga, Illinois, anybody else. You run into this Alabama team, and they launch 30 on you, and they make 15. you got big, big problems. Don't be surprised if Nate Oates is in the Final Four, and once he gets there, they've got a real shot to win the national title. I've said that exact
2: thing 50 times. <laughs> okay. So ridiculous. Thanks for saying it again. What's your third game? Game number three, Loyola
1: Chicago, minus two and a half. I'm taking them over Georgia Tech.
2: By all means, explain why.
1: The com- the committee did Loyola Chicago wrong, and by extension, did Georgia Tech wrong. This is a team that is top ten at Kenpom.
2: I feel like you have said this on TV before, by the way.
1: Go ahead. And they, I said this fifty times tonight, and they're an eight seed in the NCAA tournament. That doesn't make any sense. When you underseed them to that degree, you are not only punishing them, you're punishing Georgia Tech, and oh by the way. Maybe, also Illinois. Imagine you're Illinois. You went 14-1 and in your final 15 games. You won more Big Ten games than anybody, still didn't get the championship, won the Big Ten tournament, and now in your second-round game, you got to play a top-10 Kimpong team. That's not fair. That's not fair and balanced. It's not fair and balanced. And by the way, in all seriousness, Mm. if if Porter Mosier leaves, this will be among the reasons.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. We, that is absolutely the case.
1: Like, like I had a top ten, I had a top ten team, and they gave me an eight c Like, what, 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 what am I, what am I doing? Yep. And in fact, you know, John Gallagher. We had John Gallagher. Love John Gallagher. He, the coach of Hartford, obviously, uh, on the other night, and on CBS Sports Network on on Selection Sunday, and I think Stover asked him about you know the pressure of being in a one bid league. And he goes, it's just – he goes, I, I'd be lying to you. I almost got sick right before tip-off because you know, like, you're so close to this dream, but if this game doesn't go well, you're not getting there. And he says, it's why my friend – because he and Porter are close. He's like, it's why my friend P- Porter Moser might have to leave Loyola Chicago someday. Like, he said that. And that coming from a random person wouldn't mean much, but it coming from one of Porter's friends, I, I don't know. It stood out to me.
2: Yeah, no, that uh... – I agree with you, by the way, on this pick. Uh, Georgia Tech and Josh Pastner are a great story. Um, also, by the way, uh, dealing with uh, at least one person in their traveling party has has COVID. So uh, hopefully, Think that,
1: they got it from that COVID pinata.
2: You know, there is an irony to that. But we just—the point is—we uh, hopefully they are, they are clear of all of that stuff. But um, maybe just a, a dash of uncertainty with all of that. But you'll take Illinois, Chicago, and I would agree with you on that one. Though it's not one of my games. My next game, my third game. The spread is now. My first one was nineteen and a half. The second one was seventeen. Now we're dipping closer. This is a, a favorite to cover. I'm I'm taking Oregon to blow the doors off of VCU. Okay, Oregon is similar to Loyola Chicago in that I I just think is Loyola Chicago deserved a better seed. Maybe Oregon didn't. Twenty and sixteen got knocked out of the Pac-12 tournament by Oregon State. I, that prevented it from getting to the sixth line. I just think it's better than its seed line overall. But the way that Oregon's roster is comprised, you know, Eugene Omorui, a senior, 30, 38% three point shooter, just a load to handle inside and out. Chris Duarte, who was, I guess, a third, was he a 13 All American? Um, quality player, 43%, the former junior college player of the year. Uh, LJ Figueroa. Amori Hardy, they've got just an endless supply of guards and wings. They are a power conference team basically built to annihilate a, a team like VCU. And Mike Rhodes has done a wonderful job. But we both know that these eight, nine, seven, tens, we always get one or two that they just they end with a widespread, even though that the teams are, are seated closely. VCU can remain close in this game because it's got the defense. It does not have the offense to match here. 32.9% from three point range. That's two hundred eleventh in the country. Fifty one point seven percent from two point range. That's ninety-fourth in the country. And Bones Highland is a wonderful player. I think he's I think he's probably like a top fifty player in college basketball. Vince Williams is a nice wing. I just think they are outclassed here. This is my I'm most confident of all the eight, nine, seven, tens. The one that I'm most confident in one team winning it is Oregon, and I think they win by double digits. How
1: are you going to go through Oregon's roster and not mention my my Chandler Lawson. It's my little homie from Memphis.
2: I I just I don't know. That's I, that's your job. I. <laughs> you got like you got seventy two little homies from Memphis. I cannot keep track of all these people. We're
1: basketball city.
2: It's true. But you're not a basketball tournament team. Orlander, watch your mouth. <laughs> you you watch your goddamn mouth.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay? It's a process.
2: He wasn't ready for it. He was not ready for it. It's a process. It's a process. You got Josh Pastner in this tournament before Memphis got back. That's something, isn't it? That is something. It really is, man. (laughs) On the day that Josh left Memphis for Georgia Tech, what kind
1: of odds could you have gotten on Josh Pastner making the Insulate tournament again before Memphis gets back again?
2: Really good ones. Well, you know. Or bad they ones, to, however you want to view that. But, yes, that was not the expected outcome. Yeah. They they made a
1: they made a, a questionable hire after Josh Pastner. It, it gave us two years of, of Tubby Smith that, with all due respect to Tubby, who has had an incredible career, that was an awful hire. And it went even worse than I thought it was going to go. Here we are.
2: Game number four.
1: What do you got? It's a process, Norlander. Now we get, you know what you'll get now in the NIT? Memphis against State, and You know what that means? Memphis against Jalen Crutcher. Do you know where Jalen Crutcher is from?
2: I think he's another little homie from Memphis.
1: That's my little homie from Memphis. My fourth game, Missouri plus two
2: over Oklahoma. It's a wrong team favored situation. You're out of your mind picking this game. This is the ultimate coin flip in the entire first round. This You're is picking- a
1: wrong team favored situation. <laughs> It's a wrong-team favorite situation we're looking at. Oklahoma is 1-5 in five in its past six games, what? and the only win in that stretch is against Iowa State. How about this? <laughs> this blew my mind when I saw it. Three of Oklahoma's past four wins are against Iowa State. <laughs> Let me tell you the names of the teams Oklahoma has beaten since February 1st. West Virginia and Iowa State. That's it. That's the whole list. We got a three seed. February there. 1st. Did I catch a three seed in there? Seven weeks. Seven weeks. And you've beaten exactly one team not named Iowa State.
2: And Iowa State just fired his coach. Listen, I'm not going to talk you off this. Since February 7th, here's who Missouri has beaten South Carolina, Florida, which is a worst seed. So, West first of off, that's Devin Downey's alma
1: mater. Don't just talk mm. about it. Like it's not. It's Devin Downey's alma mater.
2: And then Georgia, Missouri it's is it's three. Green.
1: It's Tom Cream Tom won d- two outright Big Ten titles. Listen, and, and then and Missouri just just handled him. You act like that's nothing. Like they beat Georgia. They didn't beat Georgia. They beat the man who won two outright Big Ten titles.
2: Indiana. Missouri is three and six since last night. You're just playing with fire. Pick the game. That's fine. I like playing with fire. I'm not scared to play with fire. Don't come crying to me when Oklahoma wins this by five. Don't do
1: don't, don't come all burned up crying to me yeah. <laughs> when Oklahoma wins. It's the wrong team I'll favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay.
1: It's the wrong team favorite. Dude, in seven weeks, they've beaten one team not named Iowa State. Seven weeks. It
2: just still happens that team is good, but yes, I hear you. Oh, man. Look at you. Bold. I understand
1: Missouri's shaky, too, but... They're not as shaky as Oklahoma. Oklahoma's the
2: shakiest. All right, my next game is the tightest one in terms of line, and then we have the same game that we disagree on for number five. So my fourth game is the game that I think is the best game of the first round of the NCAA tournament, and that is St. Bonaventure as a nine and LSU as an eight. This is only LSU minus two? Are you kidding? This is... This is line too little right team oh favored. I'm texting Wode right now. You, you know what? Please do as we do this. Please just text him. Be like Norlander's picking against Bonaventure on the podcast right now. I I I heartily encourage that. I did a I did a podcast with our buddy Will Leach, and I said on that one, I was like, "Can we please have Woj just live tweet him watching St. Bonaventure?" St. Bonaventure versus LSU. Can we please have that happen? It would be phenomenal if he could just, like me, like me watching a Bears game and going through that on Twitter. I would love to see if we could possibly have that happen. I'm going to take LSU here because much better offense, multiple NBA players. Bonaventure can certainly muck it up. And Mark Schmidt, if he wins this game, it will not be a shock but LSU, which just took your beloved Alabama Crimson Tide to the final play, and then Alabama won, and then Nate Oates, I think, told the entire LSU team to get the f- <laughs> out of here, <laughs> which I'm sure did not even offend Will Wade. Whatever. LSU's riding it high. I, I, I like this spot. This was my last of the five that I picked, but I feel like it's going to be a close game with about four minutes to go. Cam Thomas is going to drop 29 in this one. And LSU is going to win by about six or seven points. That's the most disrespectful thing I've ever it's heard. It's not, though. It's not. Did you send the text? I sent the text. I Listen. If we don't get it back before the the episode's over, we don't get it back before the episode's over. It can linger and it can linger as a mystery there, and I don't do it to be disrespectful. I'm picking my five favorite lines. LSU minus two is too tempting. I can't deny it. So that's it's, my pick. You disagree. Do you have Bonaventure seriously do you have the, do you have Bonnie's in your CBS bracket? You do, right? Who do you think you're talking to? Oh my
1: God you're you're looking at right now. You're looking at the master of ceremonies of A10 Media Day pre pandemic.
2: I'm looking at the master of ceremonies of, of the A10 Media Day pre pandemic, sitting in a dark hotel room with a white t shirt on, like always. And what kind of ceiling are we working with there?
1: It's like a tile ceiling.
2: Do you have a shirt hanging on one of those lamps behind you? What's going on with that? What's, what is that yellow funny. thing?
1: a yellow hoodie. It's a yellow Muhammad Ali hoodie. There
2: we go. Okay. There we go. That's who I'm looking at right now. By the way, Parrish realized that he has a mic stand that is adjustable. Just yesterday, we've been using these for five months. Game, it's changer. game changer. It's a game changer.
1: You. Like I, like the mic's been too high for me. Like I'm a short man. Mic too high. It's got a mic too high situation. And I was just sort of looking at it yesterday, and I was like, hold up. You can lower
2: this thing? That's amazing. It's just phenomenal of me that you just figured this out. All right, you want to get to the you're, you're, no, no. Oh, okay. No, you don't, no, you don't no, want to move no, on no, to the no. final game. Okay, you're you're, ta- you,
1: you're being disrespectful. All right, um, these are a ten. These are a ten champs, both regular season and tournament. Mark Schmidt, just watched Boston College hire somebody not named Mark Schmidt.
2: That's true. He's gonna be pissed.
1: <laughs> you think he's? You think the way he reacts is to come out and lose to LSU? No, 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 no. That's not the way this unfolds. That is not, that's not the way the Bonnie story ends. Okay. You got a wrong team favorite situation. <laughs> oh, God. You didn't even recognize it. You're staring, you're staring at a wrong team favorite situation and you don't even know it.
2: We shall see. We shall see. Wonderful look, matchup. Good Can't luck.
1: Look, hey, this. hey, good luck ever trying to get a job at ESPN now. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> it's over for you. Between Woj and Tim Bontemps, it's over for you. (laughs) Tim Bontemps shout. Got to love it. Very nice reporter. He's a a Bonnie? He is a Bonnie. Very nice guy there. Very nice guy. The best guy. Very wonderful. What's our fifth game? So we, the
1: way we did this is we both picked five games in advance. And we only uh, had, we only picked the same game once. And so I said, well, that's actually perfect. Then we'll just do your four, and we'll do my four. And then uh, the and one, if you will, will be the game. And so the game that we both picked is Colorado minus five over Georgetown. But we picked different winners. So Norlander, Mm -hmm. what side are
2: you on? I mean, roll Tad. Buffs. All day. Colorado, 17th in Kenpom. Georgetown coming off a wonderful story here. All the way down at 55. It's not even... It shouldn't even be on the 12 line to be honest. Georgetown. Wrong line. Wrong line. That's a 13th scene if I've ever seen one. They're a great story. This is a Georgetown team that has lost at home to Navy. Okay. Dropped the game again.
1: I see somebody's living in the past.
2: Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I says the Georgetown, man I said, who is the MC of the A10
1: Media Day. Pre pandemic, I, I I see Georgetown Biggies tournament champions, and you're living in the past.
2: I, I am not living in the past because the team I'm picking to cover just lost to Oregon State in the Pac-12 title game. That game might as well never have happened as far as I'm concerned. In fact, Colorado has also lost to Cal, which is 136 in Ken Palm, and it's lost to Washington, which is 173. I'm kind of rethinking my decision in real time here. I will roll with the Buffs. They have the best player on the floor. McKinley Wright the fourth, wonderful point guard. Evan Batty is... Uh, he, he is a load down low, and I don't know if Georgetown's got the big he, Alonzo Mourning ain't walking through that door. Patrick Ewing is walking through that door, but he's not walking through that door in a Georgetown uni. So I will go with I will go with Colorado to cover here. Uh, the line is five, right? Colorado minus five. It's also the Ken Palm projection. These teams often line up. I will go Buffs, roll tad. No, 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 no. You need to validate your picking of Georgetown and not use Patrick Ewing was awesome when I was 10 years old as your reason why.
1: Patrick Ewing was awesome when I was 7 years old. There we go. Colorado's 15th in the net, 17th at Ken Palm, 18th in BPI, 23rd in KPI, 24th in Sagarin. They tricked the computers.
2: Oh, you know,
1: come- I, all right. They're the Colorado computer trickers. That's what they're not the Buffaloes anymore. The Colorado computer trickers. They trick the computers.
2: They're computer trickers. In all honesty, when I pick these five games, you're on this computer tricker thing, and I did not. I didn't have it in my mind that you uh, that you headed out for this team because you've mentioned this on preview. I think this is the third podcast you've been going after them like this. By the way, I don't even think you're allowed in Boulder anymore. I think the authorities will arrest you the second you step foot. Inside city limits there, but it's all too funny that I picked this game, completely forgetting that uh, that you basically hate Colorado now. I do not hate them. I have no, I have no negative feelings toward them. They won't I, even let
1: you into the city. The Colorado computer trickers. How does a team got that kind of computer numbers, and they lost to four sub-70 Ken Palm teams this season? Washington, Utah, California, Oregon State. Oh, by the way, Georgetown's 55th at Ken Palm. They lost to four sub-70 Ken Palm teams, and now they got to play a top-55 Ken Palm team. That is a recipe for disaster, dead leg. Colorado lost to the last place team in the Pac-12 and the next to last place team in the Pac-12. They have as many quad-three losses as they have quad-one wins, which is three. They're computer trickers. You're going to trust the computer trickers on a basketball court? 82. You, can, you, you, can, you can trust them in your computer because they're computer trickers. But on a basketball court, this is a team that loses to sub 70 teams.
2: 82.2% from the foul line, number two in the sport. If it gets close, Georgetown fouls late, three, four point game. I like it. Cover. I
1: just watched Georgetown beat Creighton's brains in, all right, to win the Big East tournament. And I, and, and I also watched.
2: They did. They were, they, I mean, they just.
1: Oregon State.
2: Tinkle, tinkling.
1: This is, you're falling for it. You're falling for the computer trickers. Not me. Not me.
2: I cannot this is, wait this for is, Colorado to win this game by 14 This points. is a
1: line-too-big situation. It's not necessarily a wrong-team-favorite situation, although I think it could be. Oh, God. It's not necessarily a wrong-team-favorite situation, but it is undeniably a line-too-big situation. You're falling for the computer trickers. That's not something I do at this stage of my life. I've reached a stage in my life where I don't fall for computer trickers anymore.
2: If you go 0-5 here, like, <laughs> how are you going to recover?
1: Dude, I don't care.
2: I know. <laughs> like, we're dedicating a whole episode to picking five games. Oh, and oh, yeah, I, oh, yeah. I actually want us both – we both can't go 0-5. One of us, by nature, has to cover the collar. I guess technically we could push, but um, – but it, <laughs>
1: Oh, by, by the by, the way, by the way, now that we're done, like we got you this far, yeah, we don't know what we're talking about.
2: Oh, I, no, absolutely no idea.
1: Like, like there are some people who like get on these, things like we're gonna give you the best bets. <laughs>
2: they, they don't know.
1: way, they don't know.
2: All I know is I'm, I'm thirty seven and thirty two. I've done okay, but I'm, I, I'm not gonna proclaim any sort of su saying power here. No shot. No shot. And we know Parrish isn't. If if anything, he's outperformed expectations at this point.
1: <laughs> I, I, I get I get a win stolen from me every week. I, I,
2: you steal it from yourself. It's happens.
1: it's tough. It's tough. I I am confident I can at least go two and three. <laughs> <laughs> That's hey, come a, listen. hey, come listen to our podcast. I can I can get you I can get you to two and three. Oh boy,
2: I think we're about done here. I got nothing left.
1: Last thing on the podcast is you falling for the computer trickers. Hey, heads up,
2: by the way, to everyone. Barring breaking news, which Parrish and I are really hoping just doesn't happen. Our next podcast situation, I believe we're going to give you a little quick 15-minute one. We say 15, it'll be 22 minutes. You know how this goes. That'll be Friday after the first day of the first round. So we will recap the day set you up briefly so you can basically wake up saturday morning for the second day of the second round squeezing a little podcast while you're making breakfast chasing your kids around going for a run whatever you got to do uh we'll make it nice and quick so that it's relevant enough that you want to listen and you don't feel like you don't have the time to get it in so we'll have a short one for you that will be available either late friday and for the west coast people that are up it'll be there and if you're on the east coast when you wake up it'll be in your feed and we will have you covered
1: Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell, thank you guys once again for listening to the ION College Basketball Podcast right in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. This is the stupidest one. Did you see Sister Jean got vaccinated and she's going to the bubble? Oh, I saw that. 101. 101. 101 and she's doing it. God bless her. Me and Sister Jean, we got that in common. We're both fully vaccinated humans. I'm a fully and vaccinated you have the same
2: woman. vaccine. I believe I heard she uh, she got Pfizer, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm on that Pfizer. Yeah. With the benefit of hindsight, I feel like I would have liked to get on that Johnson & Johnson.
2: I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm on the hunt. So, You're trying to get on that Johnson <laughs> & Johnson? Am. I am. Just one shot, let's get this gun. Let's go. Yeah,
1: yeah just get on that Johnson & Johnson. Do you know in Mississippi right now, this is a true story, everybody's eligible, 18 and up. Come get your shot.
2: Don't tell me these things. I saw a
1: graphic today. Let me find this for you. I saw a graphic today that detailed total doses administered reported to the CDC by state um, per 100,000 of the total population and you don't want to know you want to know the best states Mississippi Alabama Tennessee Arkansas and Texas that cannot be true I'm looking at the graphic I'm fully vaccinated <laughs> you're talking to a fully vaccinated man from Mississippi I don't know what like we're terrible at everything except team pregnancy. We're great at team pregnancy and putting shots in arms. Why are we so good at putting shots in arms?
2: I I, I can't get a vaccine I can't get a vaccination done because everyone in Connecticut wants to get one so it's not available so a heavy portion of the population is getting vaccinated. I, I I'm I'm not so, I'm not so sure that that data is right. Just saying. You're
1: questioning. Uh, you're if, questioning. If a I graphic? can
2: go down to if I can go down to Mississippi right now and get myself a shot in the arm, that would indicate that uh, th- there are not enough people that are older than me that have really gotten that accomplished. That's what I'm. I mean,
1: if if you're if you're implying that GP, it sounds like you got a bunch of uh, uh, virus hoax folks down there. You're right. You're right. But we're getting shots in arms down here in Mississippi. The home of Elvis Aaron Presley. Oh, by the way. Oh, no. Bill, my buddy Bill, one of the producers at CBS Sports, he, he's, he's in Indianapolis. <laughs> and he, he was just walking through Indianapolis, and there is a marker in Indianapolis, and it says, This is the former site of Market Square Arena, where on June 26, 1977, Elvis Aaron Presley performed his final concert. Did you have any idea where you're going?
2: had no idea. Are you
1: going to go pay your respects?
2: Probably not. That's where
1: Elvis Aaron Presley. This is obviously many years after he left UMass Lowell.
2: Yeah, you know what? This is why I'm done with UMass Lowell forever, okay? You had your chance. You blew it. Go play in the city where Elvis Aaron Presley played his last show. I'm done with that school. It's the dumbest pandemic, though. They keep talking
1: about these variants. I don't know what to do about it. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And we will talk to you again. I don't know. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. Maybe no, tonight. I already told
2: him when we're talking again. I no, told but him. like
1: we. I'm just saying, leave some wiggle room. Dead leg. Leave some wiggle room. We we you know something might something wild might happen. Leave some wiggle room. But, but, but at the latest, we will talk to you again late on Friday.
0: Until then, This is Mark Sanchez, former NFL quarterback. As a quarterback, I've always had to communicate with players on and off the field. Now that I'm retired, I've traded huddles for headphones with my new show, 4th and Forever. Every week, I'll sit down and talk football with some of the game's biggest stars. You'll get to know your favorite football personalities from the player's perspective. You can find 4th and Forever on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe now.
4: So Madupe, I have a question for you. Yep. As someone who's always admired you and thought of you as a total superstar, I'm just wondering <gasps> I'm blushing. <laughs> you just can't see it. I'm wondering if you've ever felt sort of average. Yeah, hello. I feel <laughs> average like every darn day. <sighs>
5: So it's funny because when you say that, the first thing that comes to me was, like, I was an average English student at our school. Like, I loved math and science, and I could write okay, but I wasn't Elizabeth Marlantis, you know, who was, like, one of my best friends who could, like, write beautifully and amazingly and whatever. So that was back then. Um And, yeah, like, all the time, I mean, as an academic, you're in these talks, and people are talking about their, like, highfalutin theory and whatever, and I'm like, do I even understand what they're talking about? (laughs) You know? So, like, and that makes you feel like... Do they understand what they're
4: talking about? (laughs) This is
5: true. So then you just feel average. There is not a moment in a day where I don't, at some point, feel average. And I think that's healthy.
4: It's funny that you bring up business school, because I also remember sort of taking advantage of... Being somewhat average or my goal sometimes at business school was to stay in this hidden middle zone where I spoke enough that I wouldn't be, you know, called out and called on because I needed to participate. And I wasn't, like, putting myself out there too much that the professor was sort of counting on me or would come back to me. And I kind of sometimes liked that comfortable middle zone. Yes. Aim for the two. We don't need the one. We can be two. That brings up a perfect connection to the talk we're about to listen to by Danielle Moss. And her talk is about um, the forgotten middle. So the middle is the people who aren't struggling to the point of getting your attention and they're not the superstars. And so they're doing okay. And you think, great, like, I don't have to worry about them. Yep. And a lot of what she says in this talk is there's so much potential there if we pay more attention to the middle and bring them up. Cool. So let's. I like that. Let's listen. Oh, do you want to say your thing first? I'm Madhubak and Nola. And I'm Corey Hagem. And this is Ted Business. Here we go, Danielle Moss. If you work with a team,
5: you know how difficult it can be to stay organized. Our sponsor, Monday.com, believes that working effectively with your team can actually be fun. Monday.com's new WorkOS platform gives your team the tools they need and want so they can work well together, making it easy to plan work, update statuses, and give feedback all in one place. Teams are more productive when they work together. To experience WorkOS and sign up for your free two-week trial, visit Monday.com. That's Monday.com.
0: Hi, this is Adam Grant of Taken for Granted. This year, we worked with our sponsor, Jobs Ohio to crowdsource some thought-provoking questions we're all dealing with as the landscape of work continues to change. Stay tuned to listen to my responses to Sheila and Lois, whose situations might not be so unique.
6: So, I want to talk to you about the forgotten middle. To me, they're the students, co-workers, and plain old regular folks who are often overlooked because they're seen as neither exceptional nor problematic. They're the kids we think we can ignore because their needs for support don't seem particularly urgent. They're the co-workers who actually keep the engines of our organizations running, but who aren't seen as the innovators who drive excellence. In many ways, we overlook the folks in the middle because they don't keep us up awake at night wondering what crazy thing they're going to come up with next. (laughs) And the truth is that we've come to rely on their complacency and sense of disconnection because it makes our work easier. You see, I know a little bit about the forgotten middle. As a junior high school student, I hung out in the middle. For a long time, I had been a good student, but seventh grade was a game changer. I spent my days gossiping, passing notes, generally goofing off with my friends, I spent my homework time on the phone reviewing each day's events. And in many ways, although I was a typical 12-year-old girl, my ambivalence about my education led to pretty average grades. Luckily for me, my mother understood something important, and that was that my location was not my destination. As a former research librarian and an educator, my mother knew that I was capable of accomplishing a lot more. But she also understood that because I was a young black woman in America, I might not have opportunities out of the middle if she wasn't intentional about creating them. So... She moved me to a different school. She signed me up for leadership activities in my neighborhood. And she began to talk to me more seriously about college and career options I could aspire to. My mother's formula for getting me out of the middle was pretty simple. She started with high expectations. She made it her business to figure out had to set me up for success. She held me accountable. And along the way, she convinced me that I had the power to create my own story. That formula didn't just help me get out of my seventh grade slump. I used it later on in New York City when I was working with kids who had a lot of potential but not a lot of opportunities to go to and complete college. You see, high-performing students tend to have access to additional resources like summer enrichment activities, internships, and an expansive curriculum that takes them out of the classroom and into the world in ways that look great on college applications. But... We're not providing those kinds of opportunities for everyone. And the result isn't just that some kids miss out. I think we as a society miss out too. You see, I've got a crazy theory about the folks in the middle. I think there are some unclaimed winning lottery tickets in the middle. I think the cure for cancer and the path to world peace might very well reside there. Now, as a former middle school teacher, I'm not saying that magically everyone is suddenly going to become an A student. But I also believe that most folks in the middle are capable of a lot more. And I think people stay in the middle because that's where we've relegated them to. And sometimes that's just where they're kind of chilling while they figure things out. All of our journeys are made up of a series of rest stops, accelerations, losses, and wins. We have a responsibility to make sure that one's racial, gender, cultural, and socioeconomic identity is never the reason you didn't have access out of the middle. So, just as my mother did with me, I began with high expectations with my young people. And I started with a question. I stopped asking kids, hey, do you want to go to college? I started asking them, what college would you like to attend? You see, the first question... (laughs) The first question leaves a lot of vague possibilities open, but the second question says something about what I thought my young people were capable of. On a basic level, it assumes that they're going to graduate from high school successfully. It also assumed that they would have the kinds of academic records that could get them college and university admissions. And I'm proud to say that the high expectations worked. While black and Latinx students nationally tend to graduate from college in six years or less at a percent of 38 we were recognized by the college board for our ability not to just get kids into college, but to get them through college. But I also understand that high expectations are great, but it takes a little bit more than that. You wouldn't ask a pastry chef to bake a cake without an oven. And we should not be asking the folks in the middle to make the leap without providing them with the tools, strategies, and support they deserve to make progress in their lives. A young woman I had been mentoring for a long time, Nicole, came to my office one day after her guidance counselor looked at her pretty strong transcript and expressed utter shock and amazement that she was even interested in going to college. What the guidance counselor didn't know was that through her community, Nicole had had access to college prep work, SAT prep, and international travel programs. Not only was college in her future, but I'm proud to say that Nicole went on to earn two master's degrees after graduating from Purdue University. We also made it our business to hold our young people accountable, but also to instill a sense of accountability in those young people to themselves, to each other, to their families and to their communities. We doubled down on asset-based youth development. We went on leadership retreats and did high ropes courses and low ropes courses and tackled life's biggest questions together. The result was that the kids really bought into the notion that they were accountable for achieving these college degrees. It was so gratifying to see the kids calling each other and texting each other to say, hey, why are you late for SAT prep? And what are you packing for the college tour tomorrow? We really worked to kind of make college the thing to do. We began to create programs on college campuses and events that allowed young people to really visualize themselves as college students and college graduates. Me and my staff rocked our own college gear and had lots of fun, healthy competition about whose school was better than whose. The kids really bought into it and they began to see that something more was possible for their lives. Not only that, they could look around at that college-going community and see kids who came from the same backgrounds and the same neighborhoods and who were aspiring to the same things. That sense of belonging was really key. And it showed up in in a remarkable, beautiful way one day when we were in the Johannesburg Airport waiting to go through customs on our way to Botswana for a service-learning trip. I saw a group of kids kind of huddled in a circle, usually with teens, that means something's going on. (laughs) So I kind of walked up behind the kids to figure out what they were talking about. They were comparing passport stamps, and they were dreaming out loud about all the other countries they plan to visit in the future. And seeing these young people from New York City go on to not just become college students, but to participate in study abroad programs and to then take jobs around the world was incredibly gratifying. When I think of my kids and all the doctors, lawyers, teachers, social workers, journalists, and artists who came from our little nook in New York City, I hate to think of what would have happened if we hadn't invested in the middle. Just think about all that their communities and the world would have missed out on. This formula for the middle doesn't just work with young people. It can transform our organizations as well. We can be more bold in coming up and articulating a mission that inspires everyone. We can authentically invite our colleagues to the table to come up with a strategy to meet the mission. We can give meaningful feedback to folks along the way. And, and sometimes most importantly, make sure that you're sharing credit for everyone's contributions. What happened when my staff aimed high for themselves is that what they were able to do for young people was pretty transformational. And it's been so wonderful to look back and see all of my former colleagues who've gone on to get doctorates and assume leadership roles in other organizations. We have what it takes to inspire and uplift the folks in the middle. We can extend love to the people in the middle. We can challenge our own biases about who deserves a hand up and how. We can structure our organizations, communities, and institutions in ways that are inclusive and that uphold principles of equity. Because in the final analysis, what is often mistaken for a period is really just a comma. Thank you.
0: Today we're partnering with Jobs Ohio to think through questions that a lot of us are facing. Consider this my version of office hours.
6: Hi, Adam. Excited to participate. My name is Sheila Akins. I'm with Jobs Ohio as the managing director. We're beginning to discuss bringing employees back to the office. How can we do this thoughtfully?
0: Well, thank you, Sheila. The first step that's missing in a lot of organizations is just to ask, what are we trying to accomplish here? I think once you identify the goals that you have, you can start to prioritize them together. And then I think the second step that I would take is I would consider running an innovation tournament. Instead of assuming that we have all the answers, we might as well crowdsource some initial ideas and say, look, you know what? We're going to run a contest Anybody in the organization can submit ideas for how we might think about navigating the transition back to work. Does that idea of giving people one day a week to work from anywhere, does that give us a good balance of productivity and collaboration and culture? Are we in a situation where we want people to have the same days working remotely, or do we want to try to stagger them out? Those are open questions, and the only way to learn is to run experiments.
6: Hi, Adam. My name is Lois Brown, and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I recently re-entered the workforce, and I'm wondering if you could give me some advice on how to build confidence in this new career.
0: Lois, congratulations on your new role. I do know some people who, when taking on a completely different career path, are not intimidated. Those people are called narcissists. The rest of us, when we walk into a new job or an unfamiliar career path, we're naturally intimidated. You're not alone. And I think that's the first thing to remember. I would also recognize that being an outsider to some extent gives you some insight. We know that when people have worked for an organization for a long time, they often get trapped in cognitive entrenchment, where they start to take for granted assumptions that need to be questioned. And I would say in your first few weeks and even first few months, it's a great opportunity to observe the culture. You may have thoughts that are helpful to the people around you. And once you make a suggestion that people find useful, that can become a source of confidence and you start to feel a little bit less intimidated. Everyone you just heard from is affiliated with Jobs Ohio in some capacity. And they're working through the same challenges many of you might be facing. Jobs Ohio is a nonprofit corporation designed to drive job creation by focusing on key growth industries and projects to improve communities statewide. See what Ohio can offer you and your business at OhioIsforleaders.com.
4: Okay. Mm. I love Absolutely. Ted women. Ted women is so great. Yes. <laughs> it's so inspirational. And it has a very good vibe to it. Um, I mean, I think there's some really interesting things that Danielle brings up. One of them that came to mind when she was talking about herself and the students that she's working with, that it's really not okay to get stuck in the middle, that that place will mean more of a setback to certain people in the world than others. And um, how her mother said that, you know, as a Black woman in America, like the middle wasn't going to cut it. Right. And it does just make me think about, you know, how certain groups of people, like being in the middle is sort of okay. Like it's okay to be in the middle at Harvard Business School, right?
5: Yeah, yeah.
4: But it's not okay to be in the middle in a struggling public school in, you know, a low income neighborhood.
5: Right. The implications of being in the middle in low-status environments are so much more stark Mm -hmm. than the implications of being in the middle in a Mm high-status environment. And it reminded me so much of how there there are a lot of friends that I have who said, thank God for this teacher that I had in X grade that saw potential Mm -hmm. in me. Or whatever, because it's almost like that person took them out of the middle by seeing their potential just in the way mm-hmm. that Danielle's mom did. So it really highlights to me the value of teachers, counselors, all of those in, in in our educational systems in terms of their responsibility and the power they have to take people out of the middle. But then I also was wondering about, okay, so what does this mean in organizations? How do you think about that?
4: -hmm.
6: As a
5: leader, is the question. What is the middle bucket equivalent in business, and what actions can you take in business to make sure to pull people out of the middle bucket? Especially Mm -hmm. in light of what we just talked about, especially in light of the potential for some of those people in the middle bucket to maybe be people of color, maybe be women. And so this is one of my challenges with so many organizations is that we think that there's like one type that's good in this and one type that's good in that. And that's only because the people who are of that type know how to groom the people who match them.
4: Mm -hmm.
5: And so a piece of this talk is saying, well, can we learn how to groom the middle? And the middle might not be aligned with how we're typically used to training people, how we're typically used to investing in people. But we can't afford to miss out on the middle.
4: And you might end up with something different and creative and innovative. You might be surprised by the solutions and paths that the middle people provide. And I think that's what she's saying in the beginning about, you know, the cure for cancer and the path to world peace. It's just the superstars kind of, as you're saying, see a well-worn path and they know how to follow it.
5: So here's the thing that made me think of. We often want to create replicas of ourselves. Is mm. that as in a senior person wants to see somebody go through their path
4: mm-hmm. and
5: like be the role model and use yourself as an example. A piece of what she's saying is there might be another place in the organization for that middle. Mm that we're not even um, as open to because we're just seeing them going through our path. So the question for me is more like, what is your dream job at this organization? Mm. Because sometimes we're like, how far do you want to go in this group? Right. Or how well do you want to do here? No. What is a job that you see in this organization that you are in awe of, that for some reason you're attracted to, that they, that is a, an eye sparkler for you. So as a leader, it's teaching people to know what the different roles are in a company.
4: And it's interesting. I think that relates back to what she said about it's a comma, not a period. If you come in and say, hey— you know, and here's a couple ways you can do it. Let me, you know, support you or help you in that journey. That's going to make such a huge difference to that person. And then they just rock it yep. out of the middle. But now I'm pushing back for a second. Oh, okay. You're going to push back on and your the, own point. Yes, I am. I, I or confirmed. on our collective
5: points. Um, but can't them, it'll be okay also?
4: Yes. <laughs> you know, so like...
5: Do y'all always need to be at the top? Like, ugh, come on. The middle is okay. Like, that's okay in some cases. So, like, when is the middle okay? Hmm.
4: Well, I mean, if we all try to be the top, it becomes this, you know, competition that may kill us all. Right. Well, maybe
5: now, now it's let's make sure that people are aware of what the top looks like. Mm -hmm. or could look like, and then make the choice to stay in the middle. Right. Like, um, if you're in the middle, but you feel like you're the person you want to be and that you're having the life you want to have and you feel like self-actualization is happening, then you should stay right there because all those people at the tippy top are all miserable and not self-actualized and whatever. So in some ways... It's a relative um, relative to who you want to be and ignoring what everyone else in the world tells us we should be.
4: And making sure that the potential that we have or other people have is being realized in a way that's satisfying. As you said, it's not about being better than the other person or comparing yourself to the other person. It's about what what can I be and what's getting in my way to live up to the potential. And the thing that I have to contribute.
6: Yeah,
5: absolutely. I um, love you, middle. I'm proud middle. That's it for today. This is Ted Business. I'm and Ola. I'm Corey Hagem. And uh, our producer is Kim Naderveen-Petersa. I was saying no,
4: Naderveen-Petersa. Na- no, it's Naderfein. Netterfane. Dutch like Nader- V. Wait, Netterfane, Naderfein-Petersa. Netterfane? Dan DeZula
5: is our mixer. And special thanks to Colin Helms, Michelle Quint, Angela Chang, and Anna Phelan. Talk to you next week.
3: So if you're using anything other than Indeed for your hiring, you are wasting your time. You can hire great people faster with Indeed and only pay for results and get back time in your schedule. Indeed.com is a hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly, like that. And now with Indeed's new Instant Match feature, you can view quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after upgrading a job post. Unlike some other hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster, and there's no long-term contracts either. You can pause your account at any time and you only pay for what you need, and they help ensure that you get and show up at the right place at the right time in front of the right candidates. According to Indeed data, candidates invited to apply through instant match are three times more likely to apply to your job than those who only see it in search. So you want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash SPI. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash SPI. That's indeed.com slash SPI. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. So as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for a very long time now. Somebody came up to me the other day and they're like, Pat, dude, you're one of the old guys in the space. I love it. You've been doing this for so long. And I'm like, Thank you. Anyway, I've been really lucky to produce some really successful podcasts, multiple podcasts, and also courses. And part of my success is due to how particular I've been with some of the tools that I use. And in the podcasting space, my favorite tool is Buzzsprout. It is hands down the best tool for starting a podcast in 2021. It's amazingly easy to use as a podcast host. It's backed by a team that really cares about your success. They've been on the show before as guests, in fact. And like all podcasting hosting services, they get your show listed in all the major directories with I think like one click you can make it happen, almost one click. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, et cetera. But what makes Buzzsprout different is they actually provide some really cool advanced tools that take the time to ensure everything is super easy to use. They have this thing called the magic mastering feature, which is so cool, which means literally you just flip a switch and every episode you upload is going to be mastered properly, which matches all the levels in your show. So if you have somebody who's really soft, it's going to bring it up. And that way, if a person's listening to your show in the car, they don't have to like turn it up when somebody's soft and then their ears blow out when you come back. It's just so, so good. All of this and so many features I didn't mention are available in Buzzsprout with plans starting at just $12 a month. They're an absolute wonderful partner and I've worked with them to offer my listeners an additional 33% more time on whichever plan you choose. Yes, if you go through our link, you get 33% more time added to your account. So let's make 2021 the year you start a podcast. Just head over to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout and I'll see you on all the directories. Let's do this. Okay, so I want you to imagine this. No matter what kind of business you have, even if you are just working a nine to five, it, do, it doesn't really matter. But just imagine this: taking an entire month off, like literally disconnecting, getting away from even Wi-Fi, just completely removing yourself from not the grid because you know you still want power, maybe, but just from the connection to the internet, to social networks to listening to information, all overload, but just having a month to yourself to think, to be present, to try something new. Now, does that make you feel like, wow, I would love that. That would be amazing. I probably need that right now. Or does that make you feel more on the side of there is no way in the world that's ever going to happen? Like that's not I mean, I'm just getting anxiety thinking about all the things that I would need to think about and kind of the fires i need to put out and the emails I'd have to answer and all those kinds of things. Which one are you? Well, today we're interviewing a great friend of mine, Kristen Bohr, from barefoottheory.com. She's an outdoor and travel blogger, very big on Instagram, amazing YouTube channel, a lot of van life type stuff. That's what a lot of people know her for. But also she's very connected to nature and Blogs about this, and most of her her revenue comes from her blog. And we're going to talk about some of those things that she does for business and whatnot, but also how it was impacted this year by COVID. And then what she did at the end of the year that might surprise you after having business maybe not do so well at the start of the year. She took a month long sabbatical. And what that means is she disconnected, she got away. And today we're going to talk about how she did that because she has a business to run, but she was still able to do it. We're gonna talk about all the things that have unlocked for her as a result of this. And I promise you, the results are kinda gonna surprise you, because they were surprising to me, too. Kristen, like I said, is a good friend of mine. She was also a member of our accelerator program in 2020, and just an amazing human being, and I'm excited to introduce her to you. So Kristen from barefoottheory.com. Let's cue the intro, and we'll get into it.
1: Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now, so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he thinks hate is a strong word, but he actually hates the Comic Sans font, Pat Flynn.
3: Hey, it's Pat here. Thanks so much for joining me today. And this is episode 467 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Now, we talk about business a lot here, right? We talk about things like funnels, email marketing, podcasting, YouTube content creation, hiring a team, removing yourself from the process as much as possible to usually do different kinds of things in your business. But today, we're talking about removing yourself from the process to fully remove yourself from all the things that have been bogging you down, all the overwhelm, just to escape and still let the business run. And so let's hear from Kristen Bohr, B-O-R, from barefoottheory.com. Here she is. Kristen, welcome to the Smart Passive Income podcast. I- I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for taking the time today.
7: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I can't wait.
3: So before we get into the big thing, which I think everybody who's listening at this point already knows because I already talked about it in the intro as far as your sabbatical and what that was like. I wanna learn everything there is about that. And I know it's gonna inspire a lot of people. But for those who don't know what Barefoot Theory is and who you are, tell us a little bit about the brand and and the website and, and how you got into it.
7: Sure, so Barefoot Theory is an outdoor blog where we inspire and empower people to get outside and give them the skills that they need to do so with confidence And our goal is to just help people live happier, healthier lives by connecting with nature. I started in 2014 after a three-year stint working in Washington, D.C., wanted to do something else and sort of stumbled on some travel blogs that talked about travel blogging as a career. And that really sparked my interest and I decided to go for it.
3: That's so cool. So like, I'm curious, travel blogger. You're not at home, and you're not working a nine to five, and sort of doing this afterwards. Like, what is a typical day like for you? Just so we can get some perspective of on like what's it like to be a travel blogger exactly?
7: Sure. So this year's been a little bit different. Obviously, there really is no normal or no routine, and and that's one of the challenges is like trying to separate work and play. But I spend half my year traveling in my sprinter van. So we converted our sprinter van into a camper that we can live out of full-time. So we spend half the year traveling, living in that. And then the other half we spend living at our house in Salt Lake, usually the winter. We're home. In the winter, I'm you know, catching up on a lot of bigger projects that I can't really crank out when I'm traveling full-time. So a lot more time on the computer. When we're on the road in the summer... You know, it really just depends like when we have Wi-Fi, that's when I schedule my calls, when I you know, do my emails, when I do the things that require an internet connection, and then when I'm not when there is no service, then I'll edit my photos and we go on hikes and we gather the content and kind of process that when we don't have any service.
3: So. That's amazing. A uh, different lifestyle for sure. And I know you've talked about this a lot, not just on your blog at beerfittheory.com, but also your YouTube channel. Your YouTube channel is pretty big and you've just came out with a recent series on what van life is like and how to convert your van and all this stuff. So if this lifestyle sounds interesting to you, definitely check out Kristen. I know personally several people who have been inspired by Kristen's work and are actually now doing the van life or about to do van life stuff. So that's that's pretty cool. But I also know you, Kristen, because you were a student of mine for a while, a year and one of the things I've gotten to know about you is just your incredible work ethic and how hard you work and how many great ideas you have and how you want to do all of them. Right. Yeah. And, and this could be a great thing. Right. To have a lot of ideas. But I also know and I want to hear from you, like there's a struggle there sometimes, especially when it comes to getting overwhelmed. Tell us about sort of beginning 2020, what your mindset was like related to work and sort of how much you were working.
7: Oh, boy. Yes. At the beginning of 2020, we had a lot of different big projects going on. So I was deep into the middle of a rebrand, which ended up taking a year and a half. (laughs) But that was a huge project. We launched a whole new version of our website. We were in the beginning stages of planning our annual van life festival called Open Roads Fest, which got canceled because of COVID. But, you know, tickets were on sale and all that earlier in the year. We also released, sort of alluded to it, a free online course all about van life, which we filmed like over 50 videos and blog posts to kind of walk people through the entire process of starting van life from start to finish. So then COVID hit and I had to make some adjustments to my team. I had to learn how to work more efficiently. And so I was taking on just, I just had a lot on my plate. So luckily I discovered meditation in 2020 and have been doing that as a practice every day and that sort of helped me like when my brain starts to like fire off and all these ideas and I get kind of impatient wanting to do them all at once but it's not actually physically possible that's been a really helpful tool in like calming the mind and like really helping me figure out what to prioritize on
3: That's great, yeah. And and I know that part of what we're talking about today or the major thing we're talking about today had stemmed from a lot of the stuff that was happening in 2020. And I wanna know what was going through your head and and what made you make the decision to go on this three to four month break, this sabbatical, this I need to just step away from everything right now. What led you to that decision?
7: Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny because my partner Ryan and I were spending a lot of time walking around our neighborhood. We were going on like seven mile walks every day just around our neighborhood because we weren't really doing anything else. And, you know, a lot of my ideas come to me when I'm outside walking or hiking. And I just one day just came up with this idea, like, what if I take a break? I was feeling kind of burnt out from work and from social media in particular, I was starting to see, you know, my screen time was at an all-time high. I was starting to feel some negative impacts from that and just kind of constantly comparing myself to like what everybody else was doing during this past year and making me feel like maybe I wasn't doing enough or I could be doing this better or that better. And all of a sudden my brain just felt like it was going to explode because it's just not possible to do that all. And so, you know, I had these ideas about bringing on new writers and this and that. But after I finished my rebrand, I realized that if I just sort of launched into this next chapter without taking some time for myself, there would be no time. Because, you know, if I'm hiring new people and doing this and that, there was no gap for like any sort of recovery from, you know, eight months of nonstop work, basically. (laughs) So... Yeah, so we were just on a walk one day and I kind of came up with the idea and I said, gosh, what if I just took three or four months off social media and I'm like off work? Like what would happen? Yeah, so that's sort of how it started. It was just a random, random thought one day on a walk. And the more I thought about it, the more it made sense.
3: You know, I've heard from other people, people who have actually baked this into their yearly plan Michael Hyatt does this every year for a few months. I know a guy named Sean West who's going on a a year-long sabbatical. So this isn't like a new thing. and, And I don't know necessarily where the idea came from, but oftentimes when we have these ideas like this, especially for an entrepreneur, like the idea of just like pausing everything for that long almost seems impossible. What was your initial reaction to the idea? Was it like, yes, let's do it. Was it like, how am I even gonna, like, where do you even begin? So I'd love to know when you had this idea, what was your mindset? And, and then how did you move forward with it no matter what?
7: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I went back and forth and back and forth. You know, I, I think I had a lot of questions about, you know, would my audience just get, you know, forget about me? Like what would happen to right. traffic if I wasn't posting on social, you know, three, four or five times a week? You know, would it affect my bottom line? Would I be able to keep my employees employed? And at first, I, you know, still kind of recovering. So March and April were, I think, tough months for a lot of online entrepreneurs. A good chunk of my money comes from advertising for outdoor companies and also banner ads on my site. And March and April were tough months and, you know, made me question if this keeps going, like, you know, I'm going to have to make some long term adjustments. So first, my idea was that we're just going to close our doors for four months. We're all going to go on vacation. So I have a small team. I have um, my, my partner in crime, Linda, who's kind of a jack. She basically is like a, a second me. You know, she can basically do everything. And then we have a part-time writer. And I thought, well, maybe during my break, we'll all just go on vacation. And we'll regroup after the new year. But then I, you know, started to think, well... You know, it's like the business needs to be able to operate when I go on vacation. Like I can't just—it's—it's it's like I can't just close the doors indefinitely and not post on the blog, not post anywhere. Just like make my audience think that like I don't care, and I, you know. So right, right. I started to shift my thinking that okay, maybe Linda will, you know, work part time, and then as we got closer and we realized that, well, there's actually a lot of projects we could do in my absence that are important. You know, maybe she could just work full time. So that's what ended up happening is Linda worked full time while I was gone. Becky, our writer, she stayed on, she works 10 or 15 hours a week. You know, we, I talked to Linda maybe once a month about what was going on, but you know, I was pretty much, you know, I wasn't on Slack. I put an autoresponder on my email I deleted all the social media apps from my phone. So I was pretty disconnected from like the work side of things. And there was a big, you know, luckily I have random passwords for everything. So it wasn't like I could just log back in without looking up the password, you know, in my...
3: Oh, that's a good point. Yeah.
7: <laughs> so. <laughs>
3: that's really cool. So a little bit of preparation ahead of time, getting the team sort of going, writing some stuff and, and, and sort of just not leaving right away. I'm, I'm curious, did your audience know that you took a sabbatical before you went? Did you kind of let them know this was happening or? Uh,
7: So I started preparing in June and I left in August. So during that preparation period, I didn't tell any, I didn't like publicly announce anything, but we were working behind the scenes to just make sure that like Linda was in touch with anybody that maybe I had like would have been in touch with, you know, that she needed to sort of take over those conversations that, Linda and Becky were well prepared for like sort of what I expected, you know, what I wanted to happen while I was gone, the certain posts and sort of like we have our holiday gift list so that needed to like be done in November. So we did some planning to sort of get like a lot like a three month sort of vision for my absence. And then the day I deleted my social media, my last post was like, I'm taking three months off. It ended up being four <laughs> But yeah, I I announced on Instagram and in my newsletter and I put a blog post up explaining why I was doing this. And then I immediately deleted everything. So I didn't look at comments or anything. I just, I didn't want- I
3: would have been like, (laughs) what are they saying about it? Like, are are they angry? Are they upset? Like, how did you get the courage to do that? Like, I'm curious.
7: Well, you know, it was pretty easy because I deleted the app. And then like that afternoon, we went on a five-day canoe trip where I had no service. So...
3: Oh, well, there you go. You have almost like forced yourself to...
7: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> once we got back, then it was, you know, you realize there's like a physical reflex, like going to grab your phone. I mean, we don't go anywhere without our phones these days or without looking at something on our phone every couple of minutes or even more. So when we first got back from the canoe trip, that was sort of good because I was like cold turkey, you know, cutting myself off. But then we got back and I was definitely like noticing myself like going to grab my phone and then I would pick up my phone and then I realized there was nothing to look at. And like, if I wanted to, I also deleted the news app (laughs) and basically anything that just like enabled me to mindlessly scroll on my phone. And So when I picked up my phone, if I wanted to read something, it was like I had to think about what I wanted to look up and then look that up. I didn't just have information in front of me waiting to be consumed.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I wanna know what were some of the other hard things or some of the other, perhaps if there were any struggles, you had mentioned this, just noticing yourself going for the phone, which is really weird that that's like baked into us now. And you're Mm -hmm. right, we never go anywhere without it. And were there any other challenges? Were there moments in the middle where you kind of just wanted to check in on things or like what, was, what else was difficult about it, if anything?
7: Well, you know, I'm sort of a perfectionist. And one thing that's like, this was a lesson learned from this whole experience is like one thing that's really slowed us down as a team is my need to oversee every word in every blog post to make sure it's exactly how I would say it. And every picture has to be the picture that I would choose for that blog post. And that sort of stifles the process. And it really slows us down when I have a highly capable team of women who are experienced in the outdoors, who know me well, are, you know, totally able to just publish a blog. Like I give them the words, they publish the blog post, or even, you know, they can go in and make updates themselves without me, have to, you know, give the check of approval. So it was a good lesson in like learning how to stop micromanaging and to just kind of empower them to do their job and own the results of the job that they do. And, you know, not come in and fix things before they get published, you know. And, and every now and then I would, you know, I would go to my blog, I'm, you know, and see, oh, I wonder what they've like published this week. And mm-hmm. it always was great. So, just a good chance for me to step back and like let them take the responsibility of sort of steering the ship and making decisions, and like feeling really good about what they're publishing. And I think as a result, this year we're just going to be operating in a much more efficient, smooth manner. And that frees up that's my time to do more of the higher level work.
3: That's absolutely huge, Kristen. I didn't even think of that. And that's what a wonderful byproduct of this for your team and and for you and just. The efficiency of the business that is incredible wow and it's it's true it reminds me of when i started working with jess you, you know jess mm-hmm. uh, my executive assistant and she came in to help me with email initially and i had to learn and she had to teach me that i didn't have to see every email i didn't have to write every email and nothing was going to break like it was like it's a learning process but like nothing exploded right and that, and that was that was the thing that i was always worried about like what if this what if that and like no no pat it's okay. like you're, we're going to be okay i'll take care of it trust me okay and then you start to see things moving and you start to spend more time doing other things and and i think that's what's happened here and it it just reminded me of that you you had written this beautiful blog post just recently in fact on barefoot theory and i'll link to it in the show notes it's called lessons from my 4 month social media break and why digital detox is necessary And I want you to quickly speak to the six points, the six lessons here. Just kind of give us an overview of like, what changed in that manner? And your first lesson here was that getting off social media changed how you traveled. What do you mean by that?
7: Yeah, well, I think, you know, so much of my bucket list is determined by photos that I see on Instagram. And I get there and they're busy. Sometimes they're littered. You know, it's a lot of people just going to get their photo and getting back in the car and leaving. And that kind of travel was starting to like, I I don't enjoy that. I would rather go somewhere that's not crowded, that's off the beaten path. Maybe it's just not like, is Instagram worthy per se, but like the experience itself is more enjoyable to me. And so we did a lot more of that kind of travel. You know, we went to places that I would have never gone to knowing that I had the pressure of like posting on my Instagram channel, you know, five days a week. Like we spent, you know, probably a month at the beach and, you know, be, the beach is beautiful, but I know my, my audience is mountain people, you know, so. <laughs>
3: yeah, so this is yeah. the equivalent of, of like, if you're a food blogger, the difference between like getting the pie to look perfect, standing on the table, like looking down while your family's just like waiting for you versus just like, let's enjoy the meal together. Right. Yeah. And even though it looks crappy, it tastes good. Right.
7: Yeah, exactly.
3: So where did you go? Like, I'm, like what's um, one of the spots you went that you didn't think you'd enjoy?
7: Sure. Well, it wasn't that I didn't think I would enjoy. It was more just like the, the content, you know, science. You had a different reason. I was always thinking about the content that I'm going to capture. But we went, so we, we took off in our van. We went, the West was so smoky. So we decided to go back East and we went to the Boundary Waters in Minnesota which was where we canoed and that was where we set off and then we went to the upper peninsula of Michigan and then we drove up we saw all five great lakes and then we went up to New Hampshire and Vermont for fall and did the fall colors there and then after that we went down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina and just like they have really nice national park campgrounds right on the beach there so we were there. We were in North Carolina for about a month and then after that we went down to Florida and We're kind of in the panhandle, like Northern Florida area, as it started to get colder.
3: Wow, that sounds epic. So that's cool. So it changed your decision making and your why behind where you go and just probably made you more present while there, I'm sure. Beautiful. Okay, number two, my social media break allowed me a lot more free time. Tell me more.
7: Yeah. So, you know, you don't realize how much time you spend scrolling and looking at what other people have to say. And, just turning that off all of a sudden I had like time to read books and like we would get back from a hike and rather than me just launching into like getting on my phone or getting my computer like I would read or I would meditate or we cook dinner together you know play with our dog and just downtime that I didn't fill every second of by staring at my phone
3: you close this section off by saying, taking this time off helped me see that I have plenty of time. I just have to make an active choice to spend my time on things that matter to me most. And that just speaks to what you just said. Like a lot of us are spending time on things that when it really comes down to it, probably doesn't matter that much when it really comes down to it. So
7: yeah, Uh, you had a guest on uh, recently. He wrote that book, Personality Isn't Permanent. Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. So I read some of that book and he talked about how your time is indicative of your priorities. And, like, you know, you should spend your time doing the things that you want your future self to be, like, what you want your future personality to be engaged in. And so, you know, I kind of just thought about that. Wow, I spend so much time looking at other people's photos online that people I don't even know or, you know, connect with personally. So, it was just a good exercise and like sort of regaining that time and like feeling like, wow, I don't feel so rushed around anymore. I can actually like do these things that matter because I'm not scrolling on my phone for two hours every day.
3: Absolutely. You had also mentioned next that you just felt more present in your relationship. And I know that everybody here has relationships of all different kinds, but whether it's a spouse, a partner, a kid, a, a friend, Tell me more about how getting off of social media made you more present with the people close to you.
7: Sure. And yeah, this wasn't just like, it wasn't just social media. There was also the work in general, just like actually taking your bill vacation. Because normally when we're traveling, I'm really juggling work and, you know, our travels and... You know, whether that means I'm on my phone planning where we're going next, or I'm posting some photo, or posting some story, or uploading my photos, or responding to emails. So, like, just turning that off allowed us to just enjoy each other's company. And I think, like, when we get in bed at night, rather than sitting on our phones and we're both looking at our phones, looking at Instagram, or the news, or whatever, it's like we allowed us to really connect and be present and appreciate this amazing trip we had together that wasn't muddied by, you know, other people's experiences, I guess.
3: Yeah, no, that's awesome. That that makes sense. And, you know, it's like my wife and I, we often put the phones down, we just chat. And like, we need to just do that more. Like, let's just talk. There doesn't have to be anything else involved, just two people connecting. And you're right, I think when we start to add other noise out there, it starts to kind of get in the way of that. And, you know it's crazy that you've been this cold turkey like for three months, but we can do this in a day. We can do this within a couple minutes or a couple hours within a day. It doesn't have to be a three-month thing, although obviously this has become a very, very amazing thing. I want to ask you more in a minute about whether or not you think you're going to do this again, but number four here you had mentioned, and we had talked about this already, so we don't have to talk about it too much because you already touched on it, but the idea that you have more control over, over the information you are consuming, right? You have now the ability to be conscious and choose the things that you want to bring in versus just kind of being fed all this stuff. So so number five, I do want to talk about, you felt energized around new passions. T- tell me what happened on this sabbatical and, and where new passions came into play.
7: So before my break, I was feeling pulled in a new direction a bit, but I never really had time to Explore that or share any of it on my blog. I felt because I was sort of in this hamster wheel of always trying to like catch up and like was never really had the time to kind of write about something new. It was always doing like the same, more of the same thing. And basically, my partner and I started um, a plant based diet just over a year ago. So, yeah, about 14 months ago. And it has been a really big it's made such a huge difference in our health and our energy and our happiness. And, you know, my niche that I consider is is the outdoors, but I think it's all related because as an outdoor enthusiast, I really care about the environment. And now that I'm learning more about the benefits of a plant-based diet in terms of the environment, like I think it's all really connected topics that I would love to share with my audience, but I just felt like I didn't have time to like actually learn enough to share it like you know I didn't want to just you know watch a documentary and all of a sudden I have like all these opinions I wanted to read and learn yeah just having having the space to sort of read books and I signed up I'm I'm almost done with this six-week plant-based nutrition course that was offered through eCornell and I just I'm so excited to like introduce more of these topics on the blog. We have a post coming out this week about the environmental benefits. We're going to start swapping out our, like I I didn't realize that there's so many, so much outdoor gear is made with animal products. And now that I've like, I'm diving deeper into this, I want to start swapping those products out with other alternatives. So eventually I'd like to be like a fully vegan where like all the, you know, information on my blog is vegan friendly and the recommendations we make for products are vegan friendly because there are good alternatives out there and we just have to sort of shift that belief system around that like there are alternatives and they're just as good. So anyways, sorry, that was a little bit of an aside, but you know, you can see I'm very passionate and fired up about this. Yeah. Stuff. And you know, we like during my break, we watched a number of movies. I started reading books and it was like, the, you know, before my break, I was like, Oh, like what should I do next? Like, should I create, you know, some sort of membership around hiking in the outdoors, or, Mm -hmm. you know, my festival got canceled. So I think we'll be this year as well. So, you know, I was just kind of trying to figure out what to do. And I think the answer was always in me, I just didn't have the space to really like, let it transpire. So, yeah, so we're going to start incorporating a lot more of that onto the blog. and I'm, I'm really excited about it. And, you know, I know it's not going to resonate with everybody, but I think new people will come in who are going to be really fired up about it.
3: So that's really cool. That's really cool. And, it, you know, so in, in a way, the break actually is helping support the business in, mm-hmm. in that regard. And that's really cool. And, and then finally here, you say, you know, my life felt more full. Like, what does a full life mean to you exactly?
7: So I think when we're on these social media apps, you know, everybody's posting. I mean, it's obvious. Everybody's posting the best moments. Nobody's posting about, you know, the fight they had with their partner or, you know, the trip that went sour. It's like we're just seeing the highlights of, you know, the best of the best. And I think even now we're seeing like, oh, like that person's house is decorated so perfect. And, you know, it's, it just leads to a lot of unhealthy comparison and you know, when you're constantly looking at what everybody else is doing, and even on my travels, we'll be somewhere really beautiful. And then I get on Instagram, and I'm like, Oh, I wish we were there, which is just crazy. I'm like, we're somewhere cool, too. But when you so when you take away that sort of comparison, you start to be a lot more content with what you have in your current present moment versus constantly wishing, Oh, well, we should have gone here, or we should have done that instead, or maybe this would have been better. You're just like, oh, this is awesome. And I'm happy in this moment. And I'm not worried about what anybody else is doing or feeling like, you know, maybe we made the wrong choice and should have done something different.
3: That's so key. I mean, it's, it's such a huge realization. And, and so my, my final question here, as we finish up, first of all, thank you for letting us in on everything that's been going on. And, and, and it's cool to see you back online because I know that mm-hmm. we had not spoken to each other for a while and you're back. What's changed now? How do we make sure that while working, you still have these things in place? And are you gonna take another sabbatical, you think?
7: Definitely, yeah. (laughs) Next time, I'll bring some of my community with me. Like, let's disconnect here, go connect with nature and come back and reconvene in the new year and like share what we learned. And this is obviously something a lot of people are struggling with, you know, especially right now. So yes, I'm gonna do it again. I think I've learned that I really like, like before I was trying to just like work hard, play hard all the time. And it was just getting really exhausting and unsustainable. And so now I'm kind of like, okay, well, rather than work hard, play hard 365 days a year, I'm going to work hard <laughs> nine months a year and then set the pieces up so I can take the three months off, not work during that time, and then really, you know, be able to explore my creative side and learn and do some of these you know new passions and just kind of disconnect because I think then I come back feeling really you know fired up and ready to bring new ideas back to the business that maybe I would have never even thought of had I just continued. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely some pieces in the in the business that need to uh, things that for the first time things went exceptionally smooth, but there's a few things that you know, could be improved on to make this go even better next time.
3: What would those things be?
7: So what we did is in my absence, so I I introduced Linda to my audience, and she took over the weekly newsletter. So she was communicating like, you know, with them every week, signing the newsletter in her name. So it wasn't like it was pretending to come from me, it was from her and I thought that was really great because now it's not just me. Now it's kind of the two of us and we're a team and like the audience knows both of us. And so if I take a break, she can sort of fill in that gap. And it's not like weird, like, oh, who's this person, you know, that we've never heard of who now is like communicating with us. But I think since I got back, we've set up like... We've never really operated with like an editorial calendar, like where we're planning in advance. And I think that that's just sort of like, it's just like I said, the three of us and we have 500 blog posts and it's just like, you know, a lot of times I'm coming up with ideas, writing and publishing it immediately without really like getting ever ahead. So this month we're spending on getting ahead. So we're, we set up a whole editorial calendar that we're going to update every month every quarter so we can start planning ahead so that way when i'm gone next year we can still be publishing some new content and things don't just like completely halt in terms of new stuff and um, we're also experimenting with some social media scheduling tools like i don't use any i've never used any sort of scheduler which is seems crazy because i have three different instagram accounts one for my festival i have a van one and i have you know, my barefoot theory. So the fact that we haven't ever used like any sort of scheduler is just crazy. So now we're like experimenting with some schedulers. So that way I can not be on the apps as much and using a scheduler to like get my content out there, like communicate with my people, but not have to be on there scrolling as much. Just having that piece in place is not for my break next year, but just going to make this year and like my relationship with social media be a lot healthier.
3: There's so much in this episode. I I definitely believe that there's going to be people listening to this who are now going to be inspired to take their own sabbatical three month, one month, one week even. It doesn't matter. I think unplugging, it just, there's so many lessons to be learned from that. And sometimes you won't know what the benefits are until you do it. And so I'm definitely inspired. And Kristen, thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything that you did and and, and packaging this for us in a very uh, actually easy way to not just understand the benefits, but even even the how and some of the nuances with the business and how that worked too. That was really helpful. So where can people go to find out more from you and, and where should they follow you?
7: So my blog is barefoottheory.com, but it's spelled like bare the animal, B-E-A-R, barefoot theory. And I'm also barefoot theory on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest, barefoot theory, pretty much everywhere. So Maybe
3: soon to be on TikTok, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> awesome, Kristen. Well, th- thank you so, so much. It's, it was a pleasure to chat with you. And, and this is the first time I'm hearing about what the sabbatical has done for you because right at the tail end of our time together was the time that you were about to leave. So congratulations, well done. Looking forward to the, to hearing about the next one and the other people you take along the ride with you. So th- thank you so much, Kristen. Yeah,
7: thanks so much
3: for having me. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kristen. and hopefully. This was an eye-opener for you because it definitely was for me. And, you know, I know it's maybe a little bit difficult during the pandemic and Kristen has a van that she can just climb into that is her home at times and she can roam around the country and explore and literally escape. And I hope that as we start to come out of this pandemic that we can also consider the fact that, well, maybe this doesn't mean we need to dedicate every minute of every hour of every day to going back to business and going full throttle but also planning for time, maybe mid-year, maybe next year or sometime in the near future to actually take time off and to escape and to discover new things just like Kristen did. And it's so inspiring. And Kristen, I'm so grateful for you for sharing and being open about this and sharing this on your blog as well. We'll put all the links to the things that we mentioned and the article that we sort of went over at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 467. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session467. That's where the show notes and links are gonna be. Again, barefoottheory.com with Kristen Bohr. This was amazing. Thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you in advance for all the reviews that are coming in and have come in and are going to come in. They're so meaningful. We read them at Team SPI and we just enjoy them so much because it gives us energy. And I've been hearing a lot of great things about how you've been feeling about the Friday follow-ups because these episodes, these ones with interviews, come out on Wednesdays and on Fridays it's just you and me and we have a little follow-up we go deep on something and we're gonna go deep again about something that we talked about here today you'll have to subscribe to find out what that is but 15 to 20 minutes on Friday to sort of recap all this and I hopefully can hear about how this has helped inspire you as well I'm looking forward to chatting with you again in just a couple days so Friday follow-up coming up soon make sure you hit that subscribe button thanks so much I appreciate you take care and as always team Flynn for the win peace out Thanks for listening to the Smart
1: Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.
3: Here's the thing. Email marketing consistently outperforms social media, ads, and pretty much any other marketing channel out there. But so many entrepreneurs ignore email because it hasn't worked for them in the past or because they just simply don't know how to get started. Here's the thing on March 23rd at 1 p.m. Pacific, I'm hosting a free 90 minute training called Five Powerful Email Strategies to Level Up Your Business that you can start using right away to connect with your audience, sell more product, and grow your business. In this training, I'm gonna cover a lot of ground, and you'll walk away with lessons you can start using right away. We're gonna talk about two strategies specifically to grow your list, and once you've grown your email list, or if you already have one, we're gonna talk about two powerful ways to really use that email list. We're gonna go over a framework for better everything. That's better open rates, better click rates, better copywriting, better automation. We're even gonna talk about the challenges you'll face, especially a moment when you might wonder why nobody wants your emails and what to do instead. And super importantly, we'll talk about how to strongly promote through email without burning your list, meaning upsetting people or feeling like it's a little too aggressive. So here's the thing. I say that a lot, but I'm just really excited about this workshop. If you want to use email marketing to grow in 2021, and trust me, you definitely should be, you won't wanna miss this free training on March 23rd at 1 p.m. Pacific. Sign up now at smartpassiveincome.com webinars. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com webinars, and I'll see you there. So we're trying something new with the SPI podcast that we've been working on for a while now, and I'm so excited to tell you about it. We partnered with our friends at Supercast and just launched a new podcast experience called the SPI Podcast Premium Pass, and now you can sign up for it today. The SPI Podcast Premium Pass is a paid subscription that gives you all the content you know and trust and also gives you perks that we've never offered before. You'll get access to all SPI podcast episodes a day before they're published anywhere else, and you're also gonna get them completely ad-free. And soon, we're gonna start publishing new weekly content that will only be available to subscribers, all for only $5 a month. It only takes a few minutes to set up the SPI Podcast Premium Pass and start listening with your favorite podcast player. Membership is super flexible with no commitment required, so you're in full control of your subscription at all times. And it's a subscription that you can feel good about. By subscribing to the Premium Pass, you'll be supporting the SPI team, which allows us to continue to produce valuable content, including new podcasts for you. We're so excited to be offering the subscription, and we hope that you'll join us. Sign up for the SPA Podcast Premium Pass today at smartpassiveincome.com slash premium. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash premium. Hope to see you on the Premium Pass.